Welcome to the Millennial Recruiter Podcast, the podcast for forward-thinking recruiters. In this episode, I interview the founder of Mental Health in Recruitment, Rhonda D'Ambrosio. I'm extremely passionate about mental health, so that's why I needed to speak to Rhonda, so she could share her insights in terms of what both companies and individuals can do to understand mental health, either within themselves or those around them. So she gives loads of tangible tools and ultimately is starting a really important conversation within the recruitment industry as I feel that mental health needs to be talked about a bit more. As always, please let us know any comments or thoughts. And equally, if you haven't filled out the, the mental health in recruitment survey, I'd really encourage you to do that and to visit Wanda's website, Mental Health and Recruitment. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rhonda. How are you doing? I'm okay. Thank you, Ben. It's really nice to be here and speak to you. Definitely. And look, this is something that's been really important to me. I'm a big advocate and believer that talking about mental health within the recruitment industry is something that we need to do. And it's why I've been following you. And it's probably why we had so many back and forth messages, because I wanted to, to make sure we could, could book a time because I think what you're doing is wonderful. And I mean, my first question for you really is, what got you started with mental health and recruitment? Oh, crikey. Um, uh, yeah, I, first of all, um, it's, I love hearing that people are as passionate about it as I am. And I think we need more people in the industry to, to speak out and say that. Um, it is, is it a long story? I don't know. I'll try and keep it really, really brief. Um, people that do know me, um, I think understand that I started what I do now after my mum's diagnosis with motor neurons disease. Yeah. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, it's, it, motor neurons disease is a, it, it basically steals all your physicality. So my mum had got this diagnosis after like a year of being under a consultant. She'd, she'd stopped being able to talk and, you know, she was slurring her words and you know, family members actually thought she had a drink problem. Um, you know, we're phoning my sisters and I saying, you know, is everything okay? Because my, my dad had died a few years previously. Um, we eventually got this diagnosis for motor neurons disease. And, you know, at that point, my mum really couldn't communicate very well. And then it affected her mobility and she couldn't move very well. And by the June, she was terminal. And by the August, you know, she had lost the ability to, her respiratory system was failing. So throughout that time, the really big thing that stood out to me was my mum's um, response to what was happening around her. And how she chose to live life um, and embrace the time that she had left. And, you know, throughout her life, my mum had suffered with depression on and off. She didn't really talk to, to me about it, but, you know, it was very evident as a child in a house that, you know, there, there were, my mum's moods were up and down. But when she was dealing with the MND, I didn't see any sign of that. You know, I almost saw the opposite. I saw my mum doing her best to try and engage with me, with my children who were quite young at the time, that was six and eight. And um, after we lost my mum and I reflected on it, I, I started to think about, you know, how she was choosing her outward responses despite, you know, the turmoil of emotions that she must be feeling inside, right? And I always say there's no, there's no bad emotion, it's just emotion and how, how we choose to respond to it is what's vital. And that comes from witnessing my mum really embrace that and you know nobody taught her anything like that this was just 
she knew what was going to happen and she had accepted what was going to happen to her and she knew that she couldn't control it but the one thing she could control was the you know what she the time she had left and even though it was you know certainly one of the hardest things I've dealt with in my life it was very inspirational you know once I'd absorbed it and I'd, I was able to reflect on it so that started my interest in um, quality of thinking flexibility yeah. of thinking and how you know actually if we can harness this and understand a bit about our brains and how it works and you know temper that sort of stuff we could proactively support our own mental health um, and you know that then leads into prevention and we know that kind of mental health is is a big topic there's there's my dogs there. I, to, I told you they'd make an appearance you know should, should i introduce my my dogs for the listeners i've got two, Ger <laughs> two, two, two german shepherds yeah they're all they're, they always like to get involved um but yeah so with with at that time looking at what you know how my mum responded it really sparked that interest for me in neuroscience and also neuroplasticity yeah. and i was sort of thinking well hold on a second if if people understood this you know could we not address the pandemic that is mental health this this issue but could we really impact how people um you know respond to, to some of the common mental health disorders so that's kind of how i started to get involved um a positive way i think you know even though my, i lost my mum um, it, it, my interest in, in mental health doesn't stem from a personal experience as such in my own and my own mental health however I'm a massive advocate for, for men's mental health because as you know um, a friend and a colleague and somebody I work with unexpectedly took their life in 2017 and I guess that for me at that point was a those two things coming together and understanding I guess the feel in the industry and um, how business leaders and recruitment business owners viewed mental health and their misunderstanding actually as to what it was to their misunderstanding to the fact that we all have mental health in the same way we all have physical health and there's never any issue is there talking to somebody about a physical illness if you've broken your leg if something happened to you if you got knocked off your bike that's not a conversation that anyone has difficulty having with leadership and leadership don't have difficulty having those conversations with their people like oh again great to see you back your legs in a cast that sort of conversation you know but then when you were talking to them about mental health that stigma and that all oh, you know well we couldn't hire anyone with mental health issues became very very apparent and when I went out and I was delivering talks about mental health in the recruitment workplace what became very very evident is that people and, and, and leaders in particular didn't know how to have conversations you know, I would have individuals come up to me afterwards and say, I wouldn't know how to respond if somebody told me they were feeling stressed. So that's that's low level, right? Yeah. So we, we then got this paradox on the other side, whereby you've got all of these businesses that are saying recruitment is such a resilient industry and only the most resilient of people can come and join us. And hey, I'm going to interview you and, you know, talk to me about a time when you bounce back. And we're hiring against this, this competency and this framework of resilience. And we're saying that we're really robust. We don't have problems in recruitment. We are superheroes. But the reality from my experience and also the work that I've done in the last seven years is that sometimes the highest performing recruiters are battling with their mental health and their mental health issues. And I guess this is what led to the inception and all of those things. It resulted in mental health and recruitment, which, you know, as you know, mental health and recruitment, our mission is to drive change in the industry to the understanding 
of mental health issues and also you know that awareness that awareness of what mental health is and how it's perceived and how it shouldn't you know be perceived through to the action that people and business owners could take that would improve lives and improve business but most importantly or you know as importantly it's a space for people that have or suffer from their mental health to talk about their experiences because you know if we're going to say that part of our ambition is to normal conversations and remove stigma we can't be afraid to talk about it and that's what my podcast as you know is all about it's hearing those stories and and understanding wow you know i i, I spoke to a guy a few months ago um it wasn't my podcast actually it was sean anderson's rag i don't know if okay. you, you yeah. saw that one yeah and i've been speaking to a guy um called andrew gibson who through through a mutual connection and he'd asked me to interview him on on sean's um, podcast which is very very kind of sean he was like yeah i'm okay with that was, uh, and what andrew told me was that you know he'd suffered with anxiety his whole life so it would been it'd been debilitating yeah. and you know he'd almost taken his life twice then and nobody knew outside of his immediate family the people he worked with his colleagues and and he felt that he he wanted to make a difference and he wanted to speak out and he wanted to maybe help other people that might be hiding it and it, we, we've often said it's like coming out you know well, I want to tell I want to tell you about my mental health um you know and see if that resonates with other people it's like weird that you say that i think we we had a conversation just before i started recording this it's something that i'm quite open about when i was delivering training for people that at times i've had mental health issues i openly speak to a therapist on quite a regular basis as a way of absolving that because i realized particularly through the early part of my career when i was performing that i dealt with stress or anxiety by consuming alcohol drugs and, and doing things like that, which obviously isn't the best for us. And I mean, from, from your point of view, like I've seen, from my point of view, high performance people that are great have mental health issues that they struggle to talk about. How, how commonplace do you think mental health issues are within the recruitment industry? Well, I, as I said, I believe that, well, I know we all have mental health yeah. in the same way we have physical health. Um, you know, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the stats, the one and four, what we're saying is that any person at any one time. So this is a, this is a thing that varies. So, yeah. you know, many, many years ago, I might go around a room and sort of if there was a room of 15 people, I might go right one, two, three, four. Oh, it could be you. One, two, three, four. Oh, it could be you. And so on. But the reality is actually, you know, this week, one, two, three, four, it could be you. But next week, one, two, three, four, it could be you. You know, because it's based on all of the different things that we're dealing with at any one time. And, you know, this is where um, the premise of Titanic thinking came from, which is one of my coaching methodologies. And the idea of Titanic thinking is like the ship. We all know the ship. You can't see what's going on beneath the surface with other people. And if you know anything about the Titanic, you know, they said that she was unsinkable because of her structural engineering and in particular her hull. And throughout her hull, she had these 15 dividers, these bulkhead dividers, which created 16 compartments. And they said, you know what, if the first four were flooded, she'd still stay afloat. But what they didn't factor in was this massive iceberg ripping a hole down the side of a, you know, a hull that that meant the water came in and as she started to sink it breached from one compartment to the other. And, and the reason this is relevant and the reason that this relates, and I think it's a fantastic metaphor is because in our lives at any one time, we are dealing with any number of things. 
whether it's something in the workplace that's going really well or not so well, or something in our personal life that's going well or not so well. But what we understand about um, the way in which our minds work and what we understand about negative automatic thoughts is that they can be quite contagious. So, you know, if, you're, if there is something bad happening, let's say um, at home, or you know you're not your health's not good you know emotionally you might start to flood in that one area and if you can't really address why you feel that way and if you can't really understand that there is an action that you can take that is within your control then some of those feelings may spill into the next compartment which let's just say could be work could be your performance at work could be your billings at work the next thing you know you're dealing with this thing that's in your personal life You've now got a problem with your performance at work and you're, you're now starting to flood in two compartments. What happens when that spills into the next compartment? Yeah, maybe like we've said, it's something that's it could be drinking, it could be drugs, and then all of a sudden you're, right? And the whole point of this is that if you don't get a handle on it, it's very easy for the water to spill and the emotions to spill from one compartment to the other. And this is this overwhelming anxiety this is the overwhelm of i can't cope and you know if we don't get a handle on it just like the titanic we're going to sink yeah yeah and just like the titanic as i said you don't when we're looking at somebody else i don't know what's beneath the surface of ben you don't know what's beneath the surface of rondo so when we we see the memes you know be kind you never know what people are dealing with it's really true and if you're in a business and if you're surrounded by people whether they work for you whether you work for them or whether they're your colleagues your peers your friends or your loved ones yeah if you can just be mindful that we're all managing these emotions in these compartments it can make a difference and if you have these conversations with people and you can try to help them and guide them in the right way it can be massively supporting and you know you don't need to be a mental health professional to do that you don't need to be a first responder yeah. and it kind of starts and i think you said this to me pre-recording with just caring um and maybe just asking the question you know let's we don't need to go through a whole process right now but how are you are you okay are you really okay and being confident that if you don't know how to have a conversation beyond that find somebody that does signpost them in the right direction or you know maybe look at your business and look at how can we support our people so this is very much where mental health and recruitment for me comes in and also you know, the awareness to action pledge which is what we're looking to sort of get out to market and this is for recruitment business owners and leaders to say we do care about our people we do want to be better you know maybe we do some stuff but we don't quite know how we should improve our sickness absence policy or we don't quite know what initiatives we need or maybe we're a small business and we don't have much money but the idea is that by signing up to the awareness to action pledge we give them a roadmap of these very basic simple things that they can do which is already a vast improvement of what they have been doing yeah fantastic as a example of the type of stuff that would be on that roadmap like what different things would you advise companies to look at in terms of making an environment where say someone was suffering from mental health, they were able to openly speak out about it. What do companies need to do to create that culture? Um, I think it's bigger than the roadmap, if I'm being honest with you, Ben. The idea is that we're giving them a helping hand and it will yeah. evolve. Um, you know, we're tweaking it at the moment and there is a there is like a, a almost uh, on our journey, right? We know what we want to get out and do now and then we've got what we're going to do next and so on. But I think one of the things I often talk about is the transparency of communication within a business. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult because um, 
if you are struggling and if if you kind of it's a difficult thing for you and, and you're in an environment where you know you know that you can't talk about these things or maybe it's been ridiculed a little bit or we've got the man up culture and you know a favorite one I heard recorded in a podcast a few weeks ago was you know drink a glass of cement and harden up um you know you can't encourage people to talk if it's not a safe environment um but maybe there are things you can do to sort of change the way in which people can feel you know so I think the cultural shift and the organizational change and mindset has to go hand in hand with it because else we're in danger of, you know, saying, well, we'll tick this box. Yeah, we'll tick this box. We'll say everyone can talk about it. You know, we'll get Rhonda in, in May for that week and we'll have a chat about mental health and hey, everyone, let's talk about it. But this, I was actually talking about this yesterday. Um, you know, what happens after those awareness weeks? You know, I found that awareness was a great thing. And of course I was a massive advocate for like, let, let me come out, let me talk to your teams, let me talk to your leaders, let's create this awareness. But what I've seen over the last four or five years, especially Ben, is that, you know, a lot of businesses, despite having some good intentions, aren't very good at driving the action. So, you know, first and foremost, you know, the biggest thing a company can do is take a decision on what they want to be doing for their people. And, you know, do they believe that people first is important? Do they understand that happier people will give them more? You know, we lose billions in the economy on discretionary effort and the fact that we don't tap into discretionary effort. And this comes down to how we manage people. So I don't think it is purely a, you know, you have to start at the top, but you definitely need a very, very senior stakeholder that has to get this and has to want to do it for the right reasons. Um, and you know, the other side of that coin is as an industry, do we believe we need it? You know, I'm still thinking, you know, with mental health and recruitment and the messaging that we're trying to push, do the leaders and the owners out there believe that there's a problem that needs to be solved? Because I just, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing is, no, they don't. Some do, you know, we've had an amazing response to mental health and recruitment's launch. But, you know, if we can't as an industry recognize that there is a problem we need to address it's going to be difficult for us to drive that change and that's where i think the voice of the recruiters is fundamentally key and you know some of the conversations i'm having are anonymous i've got somebody that wants to talk to me about um you know serious drug addiction i've got somebody that wants to talk to me about a different type of problem that's impacted them and they don't feel they can do that openly because of the stigma associated yeah. so you know what we're looking at at the moment um you know the, the kind of our, our next phase like we've, we've launched three nearly four weeks ago it's uh, it's changed some of it's evolved already because of the interest and the people that wish to get involved but what we'd like to do is baseline right you know we've got no data for our industry or if we do it's it's very small small pockets of data we don't have anything meaningful whereby you know we are we can evidence that this needs to be addressed and that there is change that's needed you know i think i i think there's change that's needed based on what i've done in the last um seven odd years um i firmly could say from an evidence perspective like you know one in 50 will maybe have a, a mental health or well-being policy i've spoken to some huge recruitment organizations in the last few weeks and i know that even though they do some brilliant things for their people it's not linked up into a well-being or a mental health strategy it's not part of sickness absence so you know there is a huge amount of, of work to be done but we're a bit cynical in recruitment aren't we we like to see the facts so. <laughs> And I think this is the thing, though, like one of the things you said is anyone can almost be a voice for it. Like what can a, 
a newer recruiter in in a job do to really be an advocate for, for mental health? Because I do see it as a generational thing. If I talk to some of my academy guys, mm. they do see mental health as a potential issue, but not in a stigmatised way. They yeah. see it as something that can be addressed where people can be supported through it. Well, do you know what? I think... It, this is the thing and I've, I've had some people some of that you know different generations approach me previously and say you know I'm really passionate about this for lots of different reasons whether because it's a personal mental health issue or because they've been touched by it through family or other people they've worked with and they feel that they can't have a voice in their businesses because you know the, it's just not what it's just not what's seen it's just not yeah. what's done so I, I do think that the idea for me around having the champions for mental health and recruitment is exactly what you're saying it's about tapping into individuals that are putting their hand up and putting a stake in the ground and saying we believe mental health in the recruitment workplace is important that doesn't mean it's not important where they work yeah. Maybe their business wants to support them. Maybe their business wants to get involved. But to be a mental health and recruitment champion and be a part of what we're trying to do, you know, they can say, no, I care about this and I want to promote it and I want to drive it. And so, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy for me to say, yeah, tell them to get in touch. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's what the role of the champions is. You know, it doesn't matter what seniority level you're at or it doesn't matter how long you've been in the industry. You know, there are, there are some key criteria around, you know, the champions as is are people who have supported mental health um, in the workplace through the services they offer, whether that's stress and anxiety, the type of coaching they provide, mental health first aid training, that type of thing, whether they're leaders who have positively impacted the recruitment workplace by looking after their people and supporting in that way, or if they're individuals that have got their own story. But also, you know, what we've discovered from talking to people is that maybe these are individuals that do stuff outside of work maybe they care about it and they affect change in their local community or they volunteer or they support as a set of family members so you know to be a champion is about really saying no i do get this i don't want to just tick in a box and say oh i'm a mental health and recruitment champion yeah. i want to help i want to drive change what can i do i want to you know i don't want to say evangelize we're going to start going all but you know the, the exactly normality and you've just touched upon something really really key that you know i'm interested to learn more about you know i've got teenage daughters i've got you know one that's soon to be 15 you know one that's soon to be 17 and you know the generational view of mental health now is so so different from when i was um, that age you know and it is more accepted because we do talk about it more but that's going to cause a disparity when we look at the hiring when we look at where we're going to get those talent pools from you know that generation has a greater expectation and there's, um, you know, we hear that, you know, these millennials and whatnot, and oh, they, 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 we hear the word entitlement far too often. And I don't think it is entitlement. What I think is, is, you know, 45 year old parents like me, you know, saying I want a better world for my kids and I want to educate my kids. So it's not about entitlement, but I'm telling my daughters, you deserve more. Do not allow people to treat you this way. Do not allow people to diminish your feelings. You deserve this. Recognize it. And, and, and that's the problem, right? Because this generation are going to come in with these expectations. You know, if you say to my 15-year-old in 10 years' time when she's at work, oh, no, you can't work remotely. Um, you know, no, that's not, you can't do that. You know, these are the kids that have been brought up on Snapchat, on TikTok, on, you know, she's mobily enabled more than I am. 
So those are the things that we need to address that will actually massively impact our kids' mental health and the industry. Definitely, definitely. And what, what's, if you were talking to someone that was going through a mental health issue, what advice would you give to them at this point? It's a, it's, that's a really big question. And, you know, and I don't, I don't profess to be, um, you know, a mental health professional in that sense. Um, but what I would say is find people to talk to, find yeah. people that you trust. And, you know, talking, talking therapies are amazing. We do struggle. Um, you know, I put a lot of messaging about this on the mental health and recruitment Instagram page, actually. You know, there is a bravery, isn't there? There is a courage that's required. And if you cannot do anything else, you know, try and identify who are the five people in your life that you go to for different things? Who's your squad? You know, yeah. I don't know. If, I always say that it's like, you know, in Pulp Fiction, when she talks about Fox Force Five. Yes, um, yeah. um, you know, who's your five? Who's on your team? Um, and maybe you've got somebody that really makes you laugh. You know, Ben, maybe you're my, you're the person, my go-to person that always makes me smile. So if I'm feeling a bit down, then you know what? I'm going to make sure that I speak to Ben you know, maybe I'm feeling really, really overwhelmed. And what I need is one of my, you know, somebody I know to be very practical in, in their advice. And oh, that's going to be this person over here. So I, I think at the simplest level, if you've got an individual that is going through a mental health issue, my advice is for them to talk. But actually, before all of that, be kind to yourself and understand that it's not just you, you're not alone, right? Yeah. We are, we're all dealing with this. And, um, you know, there is, I can't fix anybody, but what I can say is that being self-compassionate is, um, it, it, it really makes a huge difference when you stop beating yourself up and stop thinking that you're weird, you're odd, you know, you're worthless. That negative self-talk is so damaging. And if you can just be a bit kinder to yourself, you know, and say, it's okay, tomorrow's a different day and I won't always feel like this it can make a massive difference perhaps how you then reach out to your, your five or, you know, whether or not you, you can seek professional help. So don't struggle, don't yeah. be alone and, and don't, don't think that you're abnormal and that you're the only person out there that, that, that may be struggling. Definitely. And I think that there is something to say, as you said before, we, as recruiters that hire people into say the recruitment industry, you look for things like resilience resilience and mental health are two very 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 different things some of the, the most resilient people i know suffer from mental health issues and i'll, I'll say this like there, there's someone that i know in the recruitment industry who came from the paratroopers and he's seen and done things that like most of us would never experience and he's probably one of the most resilient toughest people that i know who will talk openly about his mental health issues I think it's something that we, we can all do. We can realise that being resilient has nothing to do with mental health. And we can be someone that suffers from a mental health issue and a resilient person. They're not two separate things. And no, I totally agree with that. There shouldn't be any stigmas around it anymore. No. And, do, you know, when I think if you look at resilience, I often term it as it's like a muscle, right? Yeah. And we stretch that muscle, we work that muscle when we deal with stuff in life. And, you know every time something knocks us for six um we work that little bit harder and then we come back from it you know we, we we come back from that and but we know how far we can go again um and that 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 builds strength right without a shadow of a doubt but it, it is it's we, we're all going to have ups and down days some people are going to suffer more than others and I, I was talking to a guy um on the podcast a few weeks ago who 
said to me, you know, I don't, I haven't got this massive, there's been no major trauma in my life. Um, you know, I'm just kind of getting through every day. And, and his, his story is that managing with the ups and the downs and the lows and the highs. And I actually think that that is equally, if not more important, a message to get out there because, you know, that's, that's the, if you want to phrase it that normal, you know, we, that's a, that's a person that just, uh, just, yeah, just like want anybody else who's dealing with stuff that, you know, has realized that as soon as he spoke out and spoke to a couple of his mates at the pub, all of a sudden, oh, well, yeah, I've been, well, I felt like that. And, oh, yeah, you know, oh, so it, so it isn't just me. And, and again, that comes back to why talking is so important because it gives you perspective and, and leverages it. But, you know, I think, yeah, that our life experiences definitely are what make us resilient. And, you know, even if we've got the younger generations or the millennial recruiters that haven't got the same amount of life experience, that doesn't mean that they haven't had to learn to be resilient and come out of their comfort zone and lean into discomfort, that type of thing. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for everything you've said, Rhonda. So can you tell me a bit more about what it is you do at the moment with mental health in recruitment? Okay, so uh, we launched three or four weeks ago. And um, anybody that's seen the website will know that there's a few different things um, that are on there. We've got the, the people for the sort of section, which is highlighting who the champions are and the ambassadors that are looking to drive change in the industry. And actually right now, Ben, we are restructuring what that looks like and thinking about kind of what that means to be a champion and what the expectations are. So it's, it's really hard because we want people to sort of come aboard to, to be champions and to spread the word. But it's like, well, actually, what can you do beyond that you know to, to help drive the change in the industry um but that's like a directory of people across the industry at various levels and it's it's brilliant you've got great great it's a great area to look at you've then got the podcast and as you know the podcast is about talking to people around their own mental health experiences and issues um to normalize the conversations and the We've only um, released three episodes. The response so far has been incredible. Um, all different views and angles. And, you know, what you realise is, frankly, there's some really interesting people out there that are dealing with stuff on a day-to-day -day basis and still doing the job at the same time. So I think the podcast is fantastic. We've got the showcase that will be launching um, at some point in the future. The showcase is really an opportunity for businesses that are getting it right, that are doing a great thing, that are known to lead their um, people in a way that is supportive, have got policy, have got initiatives. Um, what we want to do is say, look at these guys, because that becomes inspirational, right? Oh God, look, that business, that side, look at what they've done. And, and also open up a conversation as to well, how have you done it? You know, let's not, let's not compete against each other when it comes to mental health, let's support each other. Um, and then you've got like the resources. So if a recruiting business doesn't know where to start and it's like, well, actually, do we need a bit of extra help? Do we need software to help us? Do we need a professional and wellbeing development program that can help us? Do we need an anxiety specialist? There is like a literally um, a place where they can go and have a look. And outside of that, we're launching um, in conjunction with Need to Chat, a community led peer-to-peer -peer support program and that's almost that comes out of um covid and some of the community volunteer work that ben kenwright was doing whereby he set up this um great system where people could talk to each other if they were feeling lonely so that's not mental health support but what that is you know is you know people in the industry that just might need a voice outside of their kind of peer group um you know their close friends their circle but people that understand um 
that's coming soon and the pledge obviously the awareness to action pledge so we're just finalizing that we want to get some baseline information for the industry so that we can talk about it in a more meaningful way and explain why it's important that we do need action but the pledge is about um signing up making you know a public statement and saying we will we will be held accountable for our actions to improve um you know the support we give to our people Definitely. Thank you so much for, for that, Rhonda. Um, I'm certainly going to speak to you about how I can get involved more and I certainly recommend anyone else to do that. This podcast has been phenomenal. It's been so much value. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you for having me. It's been really good fun. And guys, make sure you check out the recruitment in, uh, mental health and recruitment website.